And then I got to think that's the same amount of people of a dorm room in a small college. So we really could house and have ho no homelessness if they would open up a dorm and allow all these people to sleep there. And for one night, we can say, this city has no homeless. That's Janice Cleckley. I'm Kara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Welcome to the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Let's jump right in and tell everyone your name, where you are in the world, and what you're up to. Sure. I am Shanice Cleckley. I am in Lexington, South Carolina, and I am up to spreading sparkles and joy everywhere that I go. <laughs> sparkles and joy everywhere you go. Has that always been your mission? It has been. I didn't necessarily... Um, do it all the time. But now whenever I do something, that is the way I want people to feel just sparkles and joy. Every time I do that, whether it's a book that I'm writing or a talk show, whatever I'm doing, just feeling sparkles and joy. Well, and I love that you have a quote on your website that says embrace being enough is necessary for true happiness. Yes. I want to hear the journey of why that quote it matters to you so much that it is a clear statement on your website, but what does that mean to you and how did you get to embracing that? Well, it it's something that you don't really realize that you don't understand it's enough. Um, I had a regular childhood where mother, father, um, upper middle class family, military, all that good stuff like that. Then I had a sexual assault and I got raped. I'm so and sorry. That, well, thank you. That resulted in me being pregnant at 14. And wow. in doing that, it kind of um, made me numb. In, in, in many ways, it would make motor people kind of act out. And, and it did. But the acting out was numb. So for years, I was parenting and going through life because this is what I had to do. And I still felt like a piece of me was gone. So then I said, you know, something is just, life has got to be better than this. There's something. And it was probably right after I had went through college and, and those kind of things. And I decided that I wanted to live a life of joy and enough. But for me, my background is Christianity. And I'll say, well, how do you become enough? If humans are not telling you that, what do you do for enough? And I really got steeped into my faith. And my faith helped me understand that regardless of the situations that were happening, regardless of what was going on, that I was created with everything I needed inside of me to be enough to spread this world and to help this world. And so when I realized that I was enough, and that my sheer existence of birth is enough, then the joy really started coming in. We remember the love aspect and the empathy, then uh, many of the problems that we have will be not as dramatic as they are. Yeah, there's so much. We have plenty of abundance, especially in the United States, to take care yes. of everyone. <laughs> yes, I realized that in my own town, there was a few years ago, well, several years ago, we were able to count the number of homeless that were in our city. 
And when they counted, like one by one, they took 24 to 48 hours and counted in the downtown area. The amount that they counted of people was like 2,400 people, something like that. It wasn't a large number in a particular block radius. And then I got to thinking, that's the same amount of people of a dorm room in a small college, in a mid-sized college. So we really could house and have ho no homelessness if they would open up a dorm and allow all these people to sleep there. And for one night, we can say, this city has no homeless. Mm -hmm. That's how I knew we had abundance. Yeah. yeah. I mean, really. Well, and, and, and that's the part that makes me and many of the women who have been on this podcast crazy is that we have answers. We do. <laughs> we have answers if you let in the love and empathy. If you understand that your little piece is, is the part to the bigger puzzle. I love to use the mosaic um, uh, example. That when you look at a piece in a puzzle of mosaic and you look at it, you think that one little thing is ugly and it just has nothing. But when you put it on the picture and you step back, you realize that that one little piece creates an entire picture that if that one piece was missing, it would not complete the picture. You just got to step back a minute and realize that your little bit does help. Yes. It really does. Mm -hmm. Well, speaking of feeding people, you made a pivot in your life from working in corporate to being a food entrepreneur for a very long time. Yes. Uh, so let's tell everyone, what was your food entrepreneurship like and how was that experience for you? I was a baker, did not know. <laughs> well, let's not say I didn't know. At four years old, my mom told me that I came home and wanted to be a cookery. I didn't know that was a chef. I called it a cookery. And so um, I got laid off from you know a huge company um, when I lived in Atlanta and I was pissed. I was really mad. I was like, how the hell y'all gonna leave me off? And then make me train my replacement and and then want me to be okay to try to find another job in the corporation. Uh no, we'll not be doing that. So I took my uh oh, I took my um job or what I was doing on the side of baking and wrapping candy wrappers and decided to make a living out of it. And it started small because I'm not a pastry chef. I just know my grandmama's recipes and what my daddy taught me. That's all I know. <laughs> That's it. And so I took that and started self-training myself to make it professional. But I still remained who I was. So I said, you know, let me see how much this costs. And let me see how much that costs. And quite honestly, with my business method, I learned that um if I treated it like the IT guys treated their business, but still kept the down home of feeding people, I had a great business. And that's exactly what I did. Yeah. And you had a couple of businesses in the food space. Yes. And it all still stemmed around eating desserts. It just evolved. So my very first one was candy wrappers. And then the second one went to literary sweets. It was a bookstore and chocolate stop. I still love that. I was just a Oh, it was so amazing. But then came the internet bubble and people were trying to have a mortgage and not buy my little bit of chocolates. I even had to go back to work. <laughs> so then I bit the gusto and I did full-time work and full-time bakery. And I opened my dessert bar. 
And with my dessert bar, it became custom desserts that I made in this beautiful exposed brick location. But then I had to pivot again because it was hard getting people in the door. And so I became Uber before, I mean, DoorDash before DoorDash was popular and I delivered desserts and I made them bite size. So as you're in business, you will learn to make different iterations and to figure out which one is going to be the best that's successful for your own lane. But all of it still had to do with feeding people and eating in belly and using butter. My tagline <laughs> used to be made with love and butter. That was it. <laughs> what else matters after what that? What else matters? <laughs> if you got that buttery feeling and you feel good, I was like, it feels like a warm hug for your grandma. And even if you didn't have a grandma, this is what you want you to feel like, a warm hug from grandma. So I loved, loved, loved baking. But then I got burnt out. After 15 years, up at three in the morning, four in the morning, and doing it for such a long time as a solopreneur, it really did burn me out. Yeah, it's it's uh, every good idea can be exhausting, right? It, it really speaks to how much we need the systems and we need the team and yes. anything great we cannot do by ourselves, at least not long term. <laughs> no, and I waited to form the team too late, scared that I was going to do too much money, not have enough work, those kind of things. And then um, as a solopreneur, I really pushed myself. Um, in order to have the big clients, like um, uh, the On the Run tour for Beyonce and Jay-Z, they came to Columbia and I did their suites. Um, the basketball team for USC, the Olympic team, I did big things, but it was still just me. And when I hired outside people occasionally. So I really could have uh, spread that out. Mind you, I still had four kids and a husband and a dog, and parents, and everything else, too. <laughs> it's amazing how fast the, the rep, where the revenue goes. Like, yes, you know, even when you don't have all the pressure from uh, the family and the dogs and everything else, like, people think that, oh, I made $1,000. I get to keep 1000 It's like, you probably get to keep 300 because exactly. taxes, website, marketing, <laughs> Right. And and it, whether it's a product or service, it's still going to have some overhead. You're still going to be, have to make sure you carve out enough. So as I uh, coach people and I help them with their businesses, I always say, well, did you pay yourself? And when they say, I'll do that later, I was like, no, I need you to configure this price now because you're going to need to live on your own. You're going to need to... to feel like you're making something. It's one thing for your business to profit. It's another thing for you to pay yourself because you are an employee of your business, even though you are the CEO of your business. And you're the most important one. If you are sustaining yourself, the business can't sustain at all. Exactly. Um, I'm so glad you brought this up because like pricing is something I work with clients on so much. Right. And I think this speaks to the quote that we opened with of so many people have these money stories and so much of the fear and hesitation of like, no, I can't pay myself because then I'd have to charge too much. And mm -hmm. in my mind, I'm like, well, that's just the price. Right. Like, but that's why also are we showing a woman up? Thing. That's also a woman <laughs> thing. Uh, we want to make sure that we're good for everyone. And I had, I had a sales problem. I knew I did. So I hired a sales coach. 
And um, the biggest thing that she said to me that helped me the most is, why are you counting everyone else's money in their pocket? Why are you counting your client's pockets? I was like, I, I don't know. Did you spend the time to do this? Yes. Did you learn how to do this? Yeah, I mean, she was drilling it in me. Yes. So why don't you think that you are worth enough in order to be paid? And so that got me to thinking as I evolved into another step is don't, I hate when people say, I really do charge what you're worth. No, charge what your expertise is worth because your words is far above rubies. So I can't have your personal growth. I cannot compare your business growth and worth to your business growth and worth. But what you will charge is how long it takes you, how long you've learned, and the fact that you're the best doggone person in this doggone business. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Even for people like you and I, like we're bringing decades of experience to every conversation, every table we sit at. So yeah. Like, do you want to pay me for school and for a career? And like, that's, that's decades of brain power coming to the table. It's not about the one hour I'm in front of you Mm -mm. talk, solving whatever X, Y, Z problem is. Plus, the whole reason people bring you and I in is because we can help you get to numbers that you never thought were possible otherwise or exactly. teams. And like, I just, exactly. I, sometimes I have to coach people on how they should hire a coach before they can even think about <laughs> hiring me because they're just doing this math. And I'm like, hold on, let's really look at the ROI of just hiring an expert in general. Mm-hmm. Like I, yeah, yeah. I paid good money for coaches like you. I mean, I really have because I knew that I was deficient in certain things. I knew that while I appear confident in business, I was not confident because I had this back in my mind thing of I didn't go to business school. I learned it on my own. So I thought that I wasn't ready to do it when I was. Sales, I was like, I didn't want to be too pushy. I don't want to be too this or too that. You know, uh, childhood things, I allowed that to come. And and as my career started going, I realized that I was really not necessarily the strategist I had trained to be, that I'm really a mindset kind of coach, even though I didn't want to say the words. (laughs) But I'm like, I got to change all these people's mindset before they could even go sales. Well, and I I think that's the secret that so many service providers in general forget. Like Mm -hmm. if you want to excel at your business, if you're providing PR, marketing, website, whatever it is, like you have to be 10% minimum coach for them because we have to change their mindset and their listening for even to hear Mm -hmm. what we're selling and why it's going to help them. Because like... I have a friend who's who's writing a a book all about money stories and how they Mm -hmm. hold us back and how many there are. And for anyone who's tackling those and expanding and doing all their growth work, nothing is more annoying than thinking you've dealt with something and been like, oh, that was hidden. (laughs) Where I didn't know that was back there. And then one day it shows up, but at least then you can notice it. But like we are never done evolving out of these areas that have minimized our power. Yes. Yes. I'm going through that now. Um, I wrote a a new book and I was going through some things and I realized that I stopped dreaming after I had got to the pinnacle of 
um, my last career. And then I was like, oh, shoot. I just did exactly what I tell people not to do. Stop <laughs> imagining and stop dreaming. What the heck is going on, Shanice? Why are you not doing this? And then I said, okay, okay, okay. How do I get back to dreaming? How do I get back to, you know, looking ahead and visualization? What is limiting me at this particular time? You know, even with the money issues, it's like I got used to making good money that when I had a setback, I reverted back to that person who kept thinking you are never going to make money again or you're not good enough or you're charging too less and and chasing the money instead of staying steadfast in what I was doing. So you fall back into those. But when you do that, you really just got to brush yourself off like riding a bike and get back on, get back on what you had. Well, there's that philosophy that when we're challenged, we fall back to the firmest step we've built before. And so it's, it's looking, it's really looking at is, are these steps firm? Is this, am I growing? And like, is it cementing or is it mm -hmm. still not dry? <laughs> because mm -hmm. whenever there's pressure or you get triggered or, I mean, that's what life, life and entrepreneurship are both roller coasters. So I like where's, where's your most sturdy step? And for some people, they don't realize that it's 10 steps down. Other people, right. say, Ooh, just one step this time. Okay. We're making progress. Right. right. Um, I, I think people like, get, um, it's that survival mode. Survival mode becomes a constant where you get, um, you know, when the bad things are happening. So I actually had a success problem as I started getting better in my bakery business. And then when I transitioned to being a strategy coach, I, and I, I had a success problem. I kept fearing the fact that the things that I was doing was going to stop, that I was not going to make the money or the clients were not going to come or that I had reached the pinnacle. And then now there's no way else, but down. And that success problem came to a limited belief of don't be too much. Don't take up so much space. Don't do this and don't tell people because if you tell people, then they're going to pray against you. I don't know why Christians believe that either, but that one got, gets on my last nerve is, so you think that I don't believe in a God so big that I can pray for it, but their God is bigger to pray against me. That one irritates the crap out of me. <laughs> of foolishness is this so i had to like break all of those bad cycles off when i was transitioning and understand that it is i am not perfect and i have to exercise that mental muscle all the time well it's it's interesting how when you start going out on the skinny branches and being brave and really creating the life you want all your superstitions bubble up to the surface of like Ooh, I'm not supposed to have it this easy. Ooh, like I'm not supposed to have this much money. Ooh, like this is too, going too well. I'm just right. waiting for the shoe to drop. And you're like, why does the shoe have to drop? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. honestly, that is when I have to lean into my faith the most. If I believed in myself, I would not progress. So even when I speak or do things, I have to tell people, now I prescribe to Christianity. I don't know who you prescribe to, but you got to be something higher than you because you cannot be the end all be all. You cannot. 
I think that's the biggest theme between everyone who's been on this podcast is whether they, um, no matter what religion they are, if they believe in the universe or, you know, whatever it is that is their thing, everyone is talking to something bigger than themselves. Mm -hmm. Everyone is celebrating the signs they're getting, the golden nuggets, the Mm -hmm. confirmation that you're on the right path. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it shows up in something completely insane that you cannot right. describe. And sometimes it shows up in really small gestures, um, just having people be a yes to you that right. you were afraid wouldn't be a yes. yes. And there's, and I think there's so much in the gratitude of the small mm-hmm. acknowledgements, like just anyone saying yes to you in your business is a holy cow moment because there's a version of that story where nobody says yes. I'm in that position right now. I mean, you're giving me confirmation just to let you know. Thank you so much for giving me the confirmation. So, because I am in that miss now. I did not expect to have this transitional life. I just left a career in um, business where I was at my dream job. I was a nonprofit executive. And the thing I wanted to do the most, which would be give money to people. I just want to give money to people, start their business. I think that I'm because in, in, in my state in South Carolina, it is if you have about $250, you can formalize your business and, and do it well. That's getting the LLC or incorporation papers. That's getting your, your business license. That's putting $20 in the bank account. But you are a formal business by $250. But the amount of people, especially women, who don't have the $250 to say, I feel legitimate is amazing. So I'm like, I want to give that. But I was able to give $10,000, $20,000, like, yeah, shit. it was amazing all around the world. But then I don't have that job anymore. I had to, I pivoted. Um, uh, the Lord was like, okay, it's time for you. you I'm shutting this down. And I was like, are you sure? He said, like, you shutting it down. And he's got me doing something else. And I'm like, I don't no podcaster. It's <laughs> like yep i want you to go do it and you know all that public speaking i had you doing around the world i want you to do that full time i said say why i didn't have to get your passport for nothing i said listen i don't want to do that and and in this now i'm like waiting for the new yes the new yes come speak on my stage yes I will pick up your podcast. Yes, I will be on your show. Those yeses, when people say yes, I'm like, for real? (laughs) And you don't know how that little bit of yes just really pushes you forward. Really does. And what I just really hear is that you you weren't playing big enough. You thought you were, and you're like, oh, there's like another level that I wasn't going to even try to go after because I was good. Mm Mm-hmm. And you're exactly right. That is the message I got. And I was like, but I, I was good. He was like, no, you were you were complacent and you did things, but now I need your sparkle and joy to go a little bigger. And I'm like, well, how much bigger? <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> this is getting real bright. Are we sure? Are we sure? <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> like, I got the green hair, Lord. I mean, I don't know how much you want me to do. Really? Like, no, I need you to get bigger. There's people out there, especially women, who need to understand the gifts that are inside of them, whether it's going back to school, whether it's having the business, whatever it is, someone has got to tell them to go forth and do it. Somebody's got to tell them and be able to model, you know, mentor and model those people. And I was like, but me, it's like, yes, you. I guess so. <laughs> when you were talking about the micro loans that people need, mm-hmm. um, there is a great book. Of course, there's places like Kiva that are doing it at a global right. level, but there's a great book called Good Morning, Beautiful Business mm. by Judy Wicks. And I've had her on the podcast actually because this book was just so interesting. Her life is like this crazy journey. But she and other people in Philadelphia came together to put together a pot of money to start a local microloan business. And the return on investment that they're getting is extraordinary. It's beating all stock market records. It's just like, that's such a tangible local investment. We believe in you. And it's just such a fascinating idea that I always have to stop myself because I know theoretically that all great things happen in community and like Mm -hmm. with the team, with the village. And so often I'll have an idea and start running with it and I'll get stuck because I'm like, how do I do this by myself? And I'm like, well, you're asking the wrong question. And sometimes as simple as getting 10 people together who can all give $250 and start changing one person's life at a time. Right. Like that ripple effect, it feels, it feels small, but you know what $250 can do in South Carolina. Exactly. And being able to see another go forth. In South Carolina, we were number four in the nation of women starting businesses. And I'm like, okay, we're finally at the top of something. Yeah. Okay. Pun. But nevertheless, although we were fourth in the nation of women starting businesses, we also were like last or close to the bottom of women getting to $100,000. So all these women are starting businesses but they're not even making a decent salary or sales in their business. And so it's like, oh, okay. So they're starting it, but they can't live off of it. Because even if you're making $100,000 in sales, that's not your profit and that's not what you're paying you. That's sales. So if we can't get them to $100,000 in sales, what are we doing? And most of them were sole proprietors. And I'm like, okay, so they can't even structurally do this as a growing business that's viable to whether it's an investor or someone who wants to a bank or anybody because they're taking all the liability. I mean, at the simplest form, let's get them a single, and we allow single members um, LLCs. Let's at least get a single member LLC so we can show you that you do have a business at the least of it. And then I know that once you get that, you feel legitimate. You think of it differently. You know, Um, and then when women get to a certain point in business, too, I have said, you got to change your focus. You're not a business owner. You're a CEO. That is a different verbiage of how you're going to operate within your business. Yeah, I I say a very similar thing. You got to stop doing and start CEOing. Mm -hmm. Right. It's so different. Um, And when you're CEOing, you're looking at 
the strategy of it. You're looking where you're going to grow within the next two years, not just day-to-day operations. You understand your time is so much more valuable than the fact that you're getting something done. You know, those things is hard. And in essence, you are dreaming, but that forecasting is so important if you're going to be doing this as a business that sustains you and your family. Well, and like um, you said this earlier in a, in a slightly different way about how people, you stop dreaming, people aren't dreaming. Mm-hmm. The fastest way for me to help someone double their business is skipping all the questions they have about like, what should my Instagram strategy be? And I'm like, no, no, no. What are the things that you really want to do that you didn't put in this business now? Mm-hmm. Because we're building businesses we think we can do versus the mm-hmm. one we really want. And like, it's, it's the alignment that allows your business to take off like wildfire. Mm-hmm. It's the fact that you were playing small and we're mm-hmm. thinking like, oh, I'll just, if I just do this and get sales, it'll be fine. And I'm like, I'm not here to play fine with anybody. Like right. ridiculous and extraordinary. That's a part of our trademark. Like it, it can be so much easier than right. we make businesses be. And I'm so glad that you are telling everyone that because, you know, one of the most, the craziest stats about small businesses, Mm -hmm. one is that in the U.S., $40 million and under is a small business. Right. Have yet, yet to talk to someone with a $40 million small business. Exactly. In quotes. (laughs) (laughs) The average small business is making $43,000 a year. Yes, yes, yes. If we remove taxes, that is poverty line. Like, exactly. That's poverty line in certain cities and states anyway. Exactly. So like we have a huge issue in how the U.S. is incentivizing and supporting small businesses if we say we, we're encouraging the American dream mm-hmm. when we're not giving people the tools and resources right. in a functional way, to your point, to like make a living. Like how do we get businesses to $10,000 a month in revenue as soon as possible? Because exactly. then you can feed yourself, pay taxes, and start to have someone help you. And I don't like it's just and, math. <laughs> if forty million dollars is the small, well, what's the big? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. If forty million dollars is small, what's big? Uh, I mean, I, I I remember going to like um, score and different places on the SBA. It was like, does your business make two million dollars a year? Uh, yeah, I wouldn't be here, Joker, if it didn't make $2 million, $2 million or less. <laughs> no, that's like, duh. And, and, and then it's like, oh, well, you're a micro business. Well, call it what you want. Teen Annie, itchy bitch, any winny, I don't care. You have what I need as a gatekeeper to get me where I need to go. And then back with, it was like, what do you, what you were saying about what do you want to do in your business? Of course, yes, your listeners are going to be like, oh, Lord, here you go again. Talking about the Jesus aspect of it, because business is hard for people who are Christians, because we want Christians want to give business away. I'm going to start a nonprofit. I said, girl, that ain't no nonprofit. That's a profit. What the heck? You are not serving the, the community with some social aspect. You need to make some money. Oh, I don't want to make too much. Jesus didn't tell you not to make no money. What is the heck What's wrong with you? To do good work. We have to give to charity. Oh, and here's my little rant. So hold on, but (laughs) 
The idea that the only way to be a good person is to be giving to charity or starting a nonprofit actually speaks to so many repressive, cultural, colonialistic Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. ideas that there are people who are less than, so they're always going to need a handout when it's like, screw that, like give people a job, give people like, so the idea, like I used to coach nonprofits, I still do sometimes, but I quickly went to for-profit because the idea that a nonprofit is going to save the world is unlikely. Mm-hmm. Whereas a business gives you so much more freedom to train, empower, develop, like the yeah. ripple effect in a business can be so much bigger than the ripple effect in a charity. Mm-hmm. And those I would love to get to a place where we don't need the charity anymore because mm-hmm. we're giving people the uh, the other everything else they need. Now I know that there are always going to be people in society who need more right. help than others. Right. But the idea that that is the only good work to do, mm-hmm. I don't think we realize how, frankly, like racist that logic yes. can be. It is. And it's like, makes me crazy. So I'm glad you said it. Thank you for my rant. You can now speak you, to that. <laughs> no, you're, you're absolutely right. And in, in my business, um, when I did have employees, I hired people who were the least likely to be hireable. And that was on purpose. I would hire the person without the high school diploma. I would hire the person who had three kids and needed to be off in the middle of the day. The college student that wanted to just use their skills. The the LGBTQ kid who couldn't come to school or come to work dressed the way that they wanted to dress. And it wasn't because I was being passionate of, I'm going to help everybody. It was because these employees were my teammates who were good at their job. And I, they needed a job. So I'm doing economic stability to help someone to be able to do it on their own. Now, I did have to make modifications. I did have to see it differently. But I would rather do that and help them preserve the dignity of themselves than I would be to just give them something. Now, there, like you said, there will be people who you have to give to. And there are some social services that will always be out there. Yet... If we weren't so strenuous of incarcerated, you have people coming out who are incarcerated all these times and you won't hire them because they have a record. If they went to jail for a little bit of weed, I do not mind hiring them to be behind my cash register. What I will not have them is in my weed dispensary. (laughs) (laughs) If I had somebody going in for embezzlement, but they can come out and work in my warehouse. They just will not touch any money. It's okay. Look at what it is. You know, look at what's happening. If you, one of the, the social things that I don't really like as well is the, the education. You know, you must have this type of degree. You must have that type of degree in order to do the work. No, I did not have a business degree. I have two degrees, one in political science and one in public affairs. That has nothing to do with business. That just means that I talk about politics and I can research really, really well and I can be out in the public. That's all that does. But if I went by that, which is why I didn't think I was enough, 
then I never would have started my business. I never would have baked. I never would have had Google come after me and say, you started your business with our tools. Can you help me? And and and, st and stayed with that rhetoric of you don't have enough education to do it. And we really have to get past that. Really, really, really. Well, we really need to get past it when we're not giving people access to free education. Well, like, like. And and th this goes back to what we were saying a second ago. Like I am all for taking care of people to give them mm -hmm. what they need to be independent, great people. Give them the food, give them the healthcare, give them the education. Like, I, like there's no reason, no reason why we're not giving people these tools that are equalizers. I mean, and even that, if we're going to pay for education, I still don't mm -hmm. see why one year needs to cost $40,000. <laughs> okay, I'm speaking that for myself because my daughter went to a private college and that in those years, I was like forty thousand dollars. Oh Lord, have mercy. That's a salary for one person. You know, forty thousand dollars that you have. And I am uh I know a lot of people think it's controversial, but thank you so much, uh President Biden, for helping me with my student loans, because I never would have paid those jokers off if it was, you know, I graduated in 1995 and I still had student loans. <laughs> it's, it's crazy. And it's just that, like, crazy. it's just, the, it just depends on, I was lucky to graduate when the interest rates were super low and I could consolidate them. I think it was like 0.25. Like I was paying a quarter of a percent on my, like, so completely different scenario than 8%. siblings of mine that got out and it was like 12, 15. I have people who have hundreds of thousands of dollars in yes. And when you're starting to live anywhere that, that you can try to pay that loan off is going to be so expensive. So you're like, here's my $20 that I'll just give you for the rest right. of my life. That, so it's, that was me. Yeah. <laughs> so it's crazy. And you go back a hundred years, most people weren't working for a corporation. No, they're most people. Yeah. They had their own business. They were seamstress cobblers. They did no. like most people knew they had to have a trade or skill right. or their own business of some kind. That's how they made their money. But and, like, due to racism, yeah. that was my grandmother. She worked mm -hmm. in, um, she was a housekeeper, you know, in, in a, in a family, a white family. But then once she decided, I don't want to do this anymore. She became a cosmetologist. She went to the only black cosmetology school and then she opened her own beauty salon. And when she did that, it took me, years to realize my grandmother was an entrepreneur. I didn't, you know, I just know she owned a hair salon, but she was an entrepreneur, but she also was chemist because she had to learn chemicals. She had to learn hair follicles. She had to do all these things with science, which then her children went to college because of all of this, but then it passed on to two of my aunts who were cosmetologists and then to a cousin who's a cosmetologist. So now we have a long line of people who picked up the family business who are all entrepreneurs who were doing this trade because my grandmother took a chance and bet on herself in order to do something that was out of the norm in the 1960s. Yeah. And and you you spoke to how that's still existing today, where right. women are starting businesses, but they're not thinking that they're an entrepreneur. Right. Exactly. A and there's so much power in that. So, so much power. Right. We could talk about this for hours, but I want to go to your podcast. Yes. Let's tell everyone about your podcast and why you love it and how's it going. 
It is going amazing. Um, originally, of course, that transfer, um, it was the Shanish um, called Dear 40s because I was getting out my 40s. But I transitioned it to the Shanish show because I needed to have a bigger light. And I was determined to do it like a regular talk show. So I have segments on there, interviews, which somebody, hint, hint, will be coming on there. Look for your invitation. So... <laughs> I have interviews, we have segments, just like you would watch a, uh, on your regular talk show. It is amazing. Season two is coming. I did eight episodes in season one. Season two, we're going from talking head to I'm actually building a studio in my garage. So I, I will have a full studio in the garage with guests and segments and even taking people on the road. So I'm <laughs> very excited. <laughs> So the Shanice show is on YouTube and um, we're picking up, uh, I am pitching now to have it on a streaming channel. So prayerfully that will be happening. And then you can also hear the audio version on wherever you listen to podcasts. I love that. So we have a few rapid fire questions to kind of wrap up today. Okay. So the first is when you hear the words powerful and ladies, what do those words mean to you? And does their definition change when they're next to each other? They do. They change when they mean um, with each other because powerful helps me describe the ladies. But when I hear powerful, I think of, I actually get a visual and the visual I get is of someone uh, with fire all around them that is blazing bright, that with their hands up um, in that stance of like a strong woman kind of stance who has their chest out and uh, just really uh emanating that type of, uh, I can't say power for powerful, energy, who's emanating that energy. So that's what I hear and see when I think of it. The Care Bear stare. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> we ask everyone where you put yourself on the powerful lady scale. If zero is average everyday human and 10 is the most powerful lady you can imagine, where would you put yourself on that scale today and on an average day? On an average day, I'm a six and a half on the average day. Today, I feel kind of eight-ish, kind of today, because I was really cute today. And when I put on cute clothes, I feel more powerful. And so <laughs> I'm six and a half because I know that I need to grow. Yeah. All right. Love that. Mm -hmm. uh, we've also been asking everybody, what do you need? What's on your to manifest, to, to make happen list? This is a big, powerful community. And I really believe you never know has, who has the next key that you're looking for. So how can we help you? What do you want? What do you need? I need exposure, um, quite frankly, for the book that I just made or that I just wrote called Soulful Sparkles um, for my podcast. Um, I need the exposure and the community to build around uh, spreading joy and sparkles um, every day with Shanice. That type of um, energy is what I really, really need. Mm-hmm. All right. Love that. Well, I think we can help with that a little bit. Um, it has been such a pleasure to talk to you today for you to give us your time and share your wisdom and all your sparkle and energy that is clear and apparent. Um, one of my words is always to dazzle. So my dazzle <laughs> sees your sparkle. So thank you. Um, but really, thank you for what you're doing. It is we're on opposite coasts as our home bases, but knowing that you are out there creating that space, like I do a practice sometimes when I'm not feeling connected to the bigger community, the bigger group. Well, I will just stand up and put my hands out to the side as if I'm holding hands with people. 
And Mm -hmm. meeting people like you and knowing when I do that, I can be like, nope, I'm holding her hands. Like we are on similar paths to like make all this stuff happen. So it's a relief because then we know we're not just doing it by ourselves. So thank you for standing next to me and sharing your light. Oh, thank you. That is just amazing. I love that. So now, you know, now I'm going to be standing up and holding my hands like this, right? (laughs) (laughs) Then I'm going to be doing that. (laughs) Yeah. I love that so much. I love that. So tell me anytime you want me to come visit and I'm just a plane ride away, but thank you for having me on the podcast on the show. This is wonderful. Thank you to all the powerful women. Um, I cannot wait to connect and hold hands with you guys in person one day. And where can everyone find and follow you so they can do that? The biggest way is go to my website, which is ShaniceCleckley.com. And if you can't spell it and you're like, okay, that's weird. Just always remember she in nice. And that's how you spell Shanice. So ShaniceCleckley.com. And that will lead you to all things Shanice from the podcast to Instagram at I am Shanice C everywhere that you want to go. But I hang out a lot on Instagram because it's very pretty. Yeah. (laughs) Well, perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you. I appreciate you. All the links to connect with Shanice, to hire her as a coach, to speak, get her book, or to follow her show are all in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com. Subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and come join us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. And to connect directly with me, head over to at Kara underscore Duffy on Instagram or visit karaduffy.com. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love. <laughs>